Hey everybody, Tom Salemi here. Thank you for joining me on the MedTech Talk podcast. It's a real pleasure to have you here. It's a super pleasure to have our guest today, Lisa Sunin. Uh, Lisa's so well known in MedTech circles. Uh, she was a, a fantastic source when I was writing about MedTech uh, because she was always available and she always offered uh, her direct opinion. And she does that in many different ways and through her own voice too. She's She's been a... Uh, I think an early, she, I know she's been an early adopter in really creating content to, to get your point of view out. Uh, she's been doing the Venture Valkyrie blog for over a decade. She now has a uh, great podcast called Tectonics, which I subscribe to, uh, that she does with David Shayitz. And uh, she's also, I guess, now contributing to the, the Timmerman Report in, in biotech, which is, uh, which is uh, interesting given all else that she has to do, including being a senior managing director of healthcare, healthcare investing at GE Ventures. Uh, that's a post she took uh, just a few months ago. So Lisa seems to be insanely busy. <laughs> so I'm really grateful she took a half hour to talk to me. And uh, we talked uh, about a bunch of different things, including, of course, what, what she's doing at GE. But I really wanted to tap her expertise in uh, creating content because I think one area where MedTech has, uh, has fallen somewhat short is in just promoting itself. And, and, and creating really compelling storylines around all the terrific innovation that's going on. And there's, there's reasons for that that are sort of external and financial and regulatory uh, that has, have dampened the medtech story. But I think there are just so many positives that we need to highlight. And uh, Lisa's an excellent storyteller. She is excellent at getting out her point of view and her, her insights on, uh, on healthcare at large. So we, we talked a bit about what maybe what MedTech is, uh, hasn't done and maybe what it could do. So it was a really great conversation. And uh, again, we tapped also into her work at, at GE, what sort of MedTech she'll be doing there and uh, hit upon a, a few other really interesting points of, uh, of healthcare. So it was a real pleasure to have her on the podcast. Uh, I hope you enjoy uh, this conversation before I let you go. I do want to uh, remind you that the MedTech Conference is coming up on June 1st in Minneapolis. Uh, Registration is doing super well, so thank you everyone who has signed up. And uh, if you haven't signed up yet, please uh, please do it. Uh, our rate has uh, bumped up to $14.95, but uh, if you use the MedTech Talk podcast code, you can bring it back down to, uh, to $12.95. So I uh, advise you to do that uh, this month before the rate uh, clicks up a little bit again. So Go to medtechconference.com to uh, register for the MedTech Conference, which is happening on June 1st in Minneapolis. And now let's talk with Lisa Sunin, Senior Managing Director of Healthcare Investing at GE Ventures. Lisa Sunin, welcome to the podcast. Delighted to be here, Tom. I think you're my first podcaster to have on my podcast, so this is a little intimidating <laughs> for me. It's like the Hall of Mirrors. <laughs> And your podcast, of course, is Tectonics, yes. and uh, I enjoy listening to uh, every episode that comes out. So, uh, you, thank you so much. You and David do a great job, and uh, and you delve into some really neat stuff. How, and it kind of bleeds into my my first question, which I typically ask people how they get into medtech. But what I'm more interested to hear from you, and we can get into the medtech part in a bit, was as long as I've known you, and and I don't I remember I don't actually remember meeting you. I feel like I've known you forever since I've been covering medtech. Um, <laughs> But you've always had the you had the Venture Valkyrie blog. You've got the podcast. 
you always had this sense of uh, being a content creator, which is now, of course, the thing. Everyone has a podcast. Everyone has a blog. So or... ahead of my time. You were. I mean, what, what <laughs> was it just a need to create this kind of content that drove you to that? Or, or did you see it as a marketing tool? Were you just... Were you just shrewd or were you just you know wildly passionate about talking and writing about this stuff you know i think i was actually just kind of cranky uh because what <laughs> happened was uh somebody suggested to me that i write a blog and this was now back uh i don't know eight or nine years ago more ten i don't know and i was like a blog that's a stupid word you know and it's a blog anyway and um i started looking into it uh, and realized that there were almost no healthcare voices out there uh, from the investing world in particular, and mm-hmm. there were not, literally no female voices out there. And it made me really cranky. <laughs> it made me want to want to write, you know. And I, I always loved writing. Frankly, it was my original career plan was to be a speechwriter, political writer, journalist, something like that. And um, I had gotten away from it for years and years. And so I just decided to start writing and I, you know, never expected it to turn into the, um, you know, media conglomerate, haha, that it is. Um, <laughs> but it, it's really a fun um, outlet for me, actually. And I get to talk to all sorts of interesting people, as I know you do. Has it uh, opened doors for you? Have you done deals because people know Venture Valkyrie, because they hear you on the blog? Or is it just kind of like, oh, you're that person who does that thing? Uh, I think it absolutely has opened doors for me. Mm-hmm. I, it was so fascinating. You know, it's like, when I started to write, even before the podcast, um, all of a sudden people thought I was like 20 times smarter than I was because <laughs> I'd written it down, which just amused the hell out of me. But I think what it was is that people know what you're interested in, you know, and they and they they know about you, hear about you, you know, in a way that that amp- is amplified. And so it actually led to all it's led to all sorts of interesting opportunities uh, and and connections and deals and you know advisory roles and. I've been amazed by it. I had no expectation of that when I started. It was more, um, you know, just a microphone. Mm-hmm. And uh, but it's really turned into a valuable tool for me. And um, but, you know, it's it, it's gotten to a point where I you know often get recognized more for being quote unquote venture Valkyrie than I do for being Lisa Sunan, which is pretty weird, but it's kind of fun. <laughs> so. I want to get just uh, talk about that transition for a second. So you, if I remember correctly, you you did undergrad. It was a poli sci and and, and, and masters in poli sci. Is that uh, is that right? Yeah, I have a degree, an undergraduate in political science, and uh, also in communication and journalism, really. And then um, I have a master's in political science with an emphasis on voting behavior, which made me super popular at parties this last year. <laughs> I'm sure, no doubt. So, <laughs> what was that? transition like because I, I talked with steve kraus at bessemer and he had wanted to be a journalist uh, and ended up going into venture capital how did you how did how does as someone who never made that leap and, and i can't really fathom my, my doing it but how did you move from from journalism writing to investing in healthcare because this stuff's hard well even when i was yeah i mean it was you know nothing planned um to be sure i and i think even when i was in college and i was studying when I was studying, I was, you know, I started some, some business-related internships, and, and pretty, pretty fast, I knew I'd, I'd more likely go into some sort of business job, um, and I did. I mean, I right out of college, I went into it, worked in some software companies, and um, that led to joining a healthcare company, and uh, that was a startup, and that was a really great and wild ride, and 
you know, that company went on to become quite large and went public and then got acquired. And um, it was the, you know, sort of experience of that company with, which had a very, you know, specific philosophy around how do you, how do you improve quality of care while reducing costs? And it was in the mental health field. And when we were quite successful at doing that and making, you know, giving better care, giving better access to care at lower cost, and then we sold the company eventually, we said, you know, we being the people that were leading the company, a couple of us said, hey, we should really think about how you translate that into broader fields than just mental health. That led to the formation of a venture fund. Uh, you know, so it sort of happened organically. It wasn't by any stretch of plan. And, you know, I stopped taking math classes a long time ago. So uh, <laughs> the finance aspect of it was always a little daunting. But, um, but you know, it turned out to be a great career. It's turned out to be a great career. And I've been on the investing side for nearly 20 years now. That's terrific. And and your your ability to create and tell stories, I think, is kind of is, is something I want to get into because medtech itself, as you mentioned earlier, there was very, there were very few. There's more now, but there were very few voices talking about healthcare. Even fewer doing medtech. No one in medtech uh, tweets really. New Nimshaw, Justin Klein, you know, probably can count them on one hand, if not two. But more broadly, the medtech sector. Uh, just doesn't have the the sizzle and pizzazz that uh, that we hear from digital health or from biotech, for you know for legitimate reasons. The investment returns haven't been as strong. But on the flip side, these companies that you're investing in, others are investing in, and others are creating are doing some really amazing things with some really amazing technology. And yeah. and when you hear about you know Elon Musk investing in Neuralink, you're kind of like, yeah, that sounds cool. But there's a lot of other people doing that as well. What, where do you think MedTech is sort of falling short in, in promoting itself and in, in, in getting stories out there? Such an interesting question. You know, I think, you know, I came from the healthcare world, not the MedTech world. Mm -hmm. So for me, coming to MedTech later on, as I did, was really, you know, a different lens than most of the people I knew. I had these two worlds of, of colleagues, you know, the people I knew from healthcare, which is you know, related to payers and providers and the people I knew from med tech, which were, you know, biomedical engineers and business people, but not um, people who related to the healthcare system per se, because, you know, 20 years ago or 15 years ago, or even 10 years ago, maybe less people from med tech lived sort of a, out in a parallel world mm -hmm. where they, where they did not spend a lot of time thinking about, how their products fit into the system. You know, they create something, invent something, and then they would go off and sell it to some doctors and mm -hmm. eventually it would get popular, right? Um, once it gained reimbursement. And I think, I think it was just a very small world um, with a fairly small set of participants who had kept themselves and, and sometimes continue to keep themselves fairly separate from the rest of the healthcare world. Mm -hmm. And you know, like I'm watching, you know, as I've watched the, the quote unquote digital health revolution over the past, you know, eight or nine years, the MedTech guys are the last of the party, you know, in a lot of ways, um, with, with the exception perhaps of Medtronic, which has <clears throat> been very forward thinking there. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, that whole idea that you need to measure and, and connect data to devices and all that is just not, uh, 
caught on until very, very recently. And, you know, I, I, I just think the world has, you know, kind of kept itself very small and insular. And that's, a good point. that's not not a very effective communications tool. <laughs> you speak only to your own echo chamber. No, that's a great point. And, and, it, and it's a, and another point you made, I think, that is in biotech, at least, you create a drug, you know what the entry point is. You know, do you definitely know how that's going to be delivered to the patient ultimately? Right. If you're creating a new device that does something completely different than what's already being done, you have to build from scratch that, that delivery system or at least convince someone to help you deliver it, which is just another yeah. challenge. Yeah. yeah. So do you, I mean, is it then, do you see this changing uh, in any way? Are, are, is the med tech sector, uh, we're, we're trying to get the word out and we're trying to spread the word through this podcast and in our, in our conference. But do you see, as you mentioned, the, the connection to digital health, maybe uh, plugging med tech into some of that, that I guess, brighter spotlight and, and maybe drawing, the, bringing more attention to the sector that it, that it possibly needs? Well, I think it should help revive the sector in some ways mm-hmm. um, and in some ways that are probably very uncomfortable for people in it because I think the advent of sensors and data and the integration of that with medical technology makes it clear what's working and what's not working. And that, frankly, wasn't always uh, much appreciated in the med tech world. Um, You know, it was more about the cool new technology than it was about what did it do to change the trajectory of care or change the outcome. And I think now there's so much more of a um, premium being placed on does it work? Does it matter? Does it change, you know, the, the treatment? Does it change the outcome? For the patient, and the only way to get to that truly is through data and studies and and um, ongoing sensing in some cases. There's also, I think, a change in business models afoot for med tech, which will help revive it because it's been harder and harder, I think, to get medical technology products, medical device products in particular, to the market because of reimbursement becoming harder and harder and reliant on that data we were just talking about, the mm-hmm. evidence of proof that it does something. And... Um, so while it may separate the wheat from the chaff a lot faster, um, which is probably good for the healthcare system, uh, if not all the med tech companies, it will also revolutionize, I think, the opportunity in med tech to think about being, you know, combination service and product providers, um, you know, which will, you know, scare the hell out of a lot of these folks who've never been in the service business. But hey, if you're in the monitoring business, you're in the service business. Mm-hmm. And... Um, those are very uh, valid and you know profitable business models for lots of folks in other you know parts of healthcare and other parts of industry. And as some of the med tech companies get more and more intelligent about this, I think they can really bring new value to the marketplace and new excitement to the products. Do you personally advise people, you know, someone listening to this, should they be? I don't know if people need to blog at this point, but should they be on Twitter? Should they be out there telling their story? Do you? Do you advise individuals to kind of get more engaged because I, I do talk to med tech people about it and i remember that josh mackauer on this yeah. podcast earlier on we talked about tweeting and he said well he, he tweets but only for his uh the the wine bottle sealing device that that he's invested in but not really for med tech <laughs> now that's a real medical device <laughs> <laughs> exactly it's more drug delivery i think but but uh i mean do you tell people get out there you know tell your stories yeah Totally. I do because, you know, brands that succeed 
are ones that tell good stories. Mm-hmm. I mean, the companies we all think of off the top of our heads are the ones that have made strong brand um, legends, right? They've told their story. They've made their personality clear. They've made their vision clear. Um, their, you know, their promise to customers clear, what they stand for, all of that. And I think that's part of building a good brand. And part of, part of building a good company is building a good brand. And when it only mattered to a small audience what you were selling, doctors, you know, for med tech companies, mm-hmm. maybe it didn't matter as much because it was a very one-on-one, you know, super old school methodology of selling. But in this day and age, you can't sell that way anymore to, to health systems. You have to go and convince, you know, 37 people at the health system that your product is worth bringing in. And, you know, we've definitely moved into the world in the age of med tech formularies, which we don't call it that, but that's what it is. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, so if your product has a better story and a better brand in addition to real value, you're going to get hurt. Yeah. You know, people answer the phone when Google calls. Do they answer the phone when, you know, Joe's med tech company calls? <laughs> never heard of this guy, you know? So it, communications to me is, is, you know, a good thing for any industry. I can't imagine why any industry wouldn't want to engage in effective communication, why any company wouldn't want to engage in effective communication and thus its leaders. It's sort of the, the currency of modern economy, you know? Absolutely. No, you're right. And I think if, if you're going to visit with a payer or a hospital system, if those 37 people know your name before you even get there, it's a lot more effective. Oh, we're going to meet with uh, whatever med tech, as opposed to you know someone whose whose video we found on Google, someone who we heard on a podcast, someone who's already been being talked about, that certainly has to help strengthen your case. Um, I'd rather tell my story than have somebody else tell it for me. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. So, all right. Well, we'll we'll continue to pound the, this uh, this message and get people. <laughs> Maybe on. You need to put together some training classes. You know. Yeah. No. <laughs> that's a great idea. Uh, and you'll be a visiting professor. There you go. <laughs> Let's get into your uh, your your actual job. You you've just joined GE Ventures, which is really cool and exciting. Congratulations! Uh, Thank you. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. What will you be doing there? What sort of companies will you be looking at? Yeah, so it's a really fun uh, role. I get to run the healthcare venture fund there. It's you know pretty substantial amount of resources and obviously great brand. Um, they the focus is really on four categories of. Stuff, if I'll call it, you know, one things that improve patient and provider experience. Number two, um, things that improve clinical outcome through better diagnosis and treatment. Um, number three, um, things that improve healthcare operations, so the operational aspect of life science companies or hospital systems or whatever. And lastly, things that move the system closer to value-based care. So within those those categories, we look at anything interesting, and that's health technology, medical technology, that's minimally invasive. We really don't get into the in-the-body stuff. Um, we look at health services that has a technology you know, aspect to it, and life science tools. We, we don't do biotech, uh, you know, don't do molecules, but we do the tools that help them get manufactured, delivered, and the like. So um, pretty broad remit, very exciting. Great team. Really happy to be there. Hey, everyone. Tom here. Just want to take a quick break to remind you once again to go to medtechconference.com to uh, check out the agenda for the conference, which is taking place on June 1st in Minneapolis. Uh, Very pleased to have uh, Mike Mahoney, 
sort of as our, our first uh, significant leadoff hitter. Uh, he'll be interviewed by our co-chair, Kevin Hikes. And uh, we're also pleased to have uh, Joe Almeida of Baxter. Uh, he'll be uh, sort of uh, clearing the bases at the end of the day. And he'll be interviewed by our other co-chair, Stacy Enzing Sang. And uh, Kevin Hikes, of course, is with uh, Versant Medavention, and Stacy is with Lightstone. So we're, we're super pleased about this agenda, uh, and uh, we're very grateful to see the registrations that have come in. So uh, please go to medtechconference.com to uh, register for the event, which is taking place on June 1st in Minneapolis. Now let's get back to talking with Lisa Soonan. So what, uh, what stages will you be looking at? The question is always, of course, especially for people listening yeah. to this podcast, seems to be the early stage question. Sure. Well, early stage med tech for us, unless it's, you know, almost to market or at the market, mm-hmm. you know, at launch is not really in our scope. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, really we're looking for, if it's med tech per se, we're looking for things that are at commercialization and looking to scale or just close to there. Um, when you're talking about digital, digital therapeutics and digital diagnostics, you know, probably the same story, frankly. Mm-hmm. So I'd say we're, we're, you know, series, like late series A, so series A that has revenue or that is right on the cusp of it for med, you know, medical technology type stuff or later up to growth. And, and are you investing in those, those companies uh, merely to see a return on investment or are there, are there strategic opportunities for those companies to either be distributed by GE or, or what kind of relationship would you have beyond the investment with these startups? It really depends. And you see merely, you know, for financial return, like it's a bad thing, but certainly (laughs) uh, financial return is the first thing we do look at because that is a proxy for lots of good things, not just financial return, but for company viability. I mean, if a company can't do well enough to be considered something worthy of a good financial return, it's probably not sustainable in any form. Um, So we look at that first, but we definitely look at strategic value for GE long-term and short-term. And sometimes it's, you know, short-term, we can distribute it. Sometimes it's long-term, might be interesting downstream. We don't have to tie our investment strategy directly to what the business itself is doing, but it has to have some logical fit, in theory at least. That's, you know, that's, that's, you can tell yourself without laughing. I mean, it really, you know, we're looking for things that have value long-term to, to GE's ecosystem. And in some cases, we actually do have a business arrangement with the investment organizations. And, and in many cases, we do not, or do not at the beginning, but might later. It, there's all sorts of permutations of this, frankly. Mm-hmm. Do you find the experience investing uh, on behalf of a corporate different than a venture fund in any way? Um. Yeah, it's different. It's definitely different. I, I mean, I think GE's approach is pretty sophisticated compared to a lot of corporate venture funds, to be honest, which is one of the reasons I was attracted to it, in that they take the financial return aspect of it so seriously, and you don't have to have business unit approval to do a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is an aspect of many corporate venture funds, that if they're not doing business with the company, you don't do the investment. We don't have that restriction. But there's differences because you are thinking about, you know, whether this has any relevance to what the company does. If it doesn't have any relevance to what the company does, we're not going to look at it. Um, there are some limitations, right? Our company doesn't do um, biotech and pharma, and we're never probably going to do that. <laughs> so we're not going to ever look at those. Mm-hmm. You know, we're never going to do, I don't believe, well, never is a long time, but at the moment, we don't do, you know, therapeutic medical devices 
So we don't spend a lot of time in that area. Then we do spend a little. We do spend a little. Um, we you know, invest in a company called Neuronetics, for instance. Uh, that's a therapeutic medical device. But um, you know, so so you do have a second consideration aside from financial return there. And then you all, but you also have the advantage of this huge, you know, massive pile of people who have experience in the fields. A lot of the time that you can draw from from diligence, you might draw from from a business relationship. So there's, you know, lots of different considerations. Um, it's of course different that you don't have to raise a fund. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that it's sort of an evergreen situation, which is frankly great. Um, but then again, in theory, although I don't think GE has this problem. You know, you are always at the whim of the company's fortunes, right? That, you know, if you're in many corporate venture funds, you know, if you change the CEO, you you change whether they have a venture fund. So, you know, there's different considerations, good and bad on both sides. And do you you, uh, get a different reception from startups? I mean, GE Ventures has got a great name. Speaking of, of building a great brand, it's last three or four years, it's really put itself out there as a, as a leader in the space. Yep. Do, do you, yep. I assume anyone is returning your phone call, but is, is there, is there any sort of uh, a different uh, uh, response from, from companies that you're talking to about a potential investment? Do they act differently to, to you than they might've when you were uh, at a venture fund? You know, I think there's always a class of companies that feel uncomfortable with corporate venture. You know, there's there's definitely a crew of other venture capitalists out there who believe corporate venture is less good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you don't hear from those folks much, right? And whatever. I mean, that's okay. There's plenty of deals to go around. Um, I frankly don't agree with it because I think corporate venture, at least in, in many cases, not in all cases, but in many cases, really become much more sophisticated has hired teams from the quote unquote regular venture world and has, you know, moved its practices to be, you know, exactly the same effectively in how they do diligence and, and corporate governance and the like, uh, as any other venture fund. Um, I think if you spent, you know, if you as an investor or a company spent a day with the GE ventures folks, you couldn't tell the difference between that and any other venture mm-hmm. fund. Interesting. Um, but you know, not everybody would agree with me. And, um, well, that's foolish, of course. I, understand. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you 100%, Lisa. <laughs> uh, well, that's, that's great. And have you done any deals? Final question about GE Ventures. Any investments yet? Have I personally yeah. done any while yeah. I've been there? Yeah, actually I did. Um, I joined in December and I came along with one I really wanted to do called Health Reveal, a company in New York doing uh, – AI analytics for healthcare to improve clinical outcomes and predict that at a very deep clinical data level when people are likely to have material adverse clinical events and help intervene before those occur. It's a wonderful company. Mm-hmm. That's great. It's nice to do it. Yeah. Get one right off the bat. I know. Very exciting. And because you're not busy enough, you've also got a new effort underway, uh, C-Sweetener, which I'd like to talk about a little bit. Uh, could you could you uh, tell our audience a bit about wh- what it is exactly, what, your, what, what is your objective, and how are you going about that? Sure. So C-Sweetener is a not-for-profit company that I formed last year with a, with a colleague, Lisa Serwin. I like, I like to work with people who are called Lisa. <laughs> um, and um, it is a... A company that think about it as like a match.com for women women in the C-suite or rising to the C-suite. 
to find mentors, male and female mentors, who've been in the C-suite or comparable positions to help advise them and guide them to success. Um, women, as we've all heard and know, uh, have a much more difficult time ascending to the C-suite. And then once there, they have a much more difficult time succeeding. People tend to look for them to fail rather than succeed. Mm-hmm. And mentorship has been shown many times over to be an effective tool to help people be more successful, male and men and women. And so this is a company I, I formed uh, out of frustration um, to help people find people, and specifically women, to find that, that guiding mentorship uh, from great executives. And you go in and you put your name in and, you know, as a mentee and you can match like on a match.com style thing to, to folks around the country who are already willing to help. And um, it's been phenomenally rewarding to be involved in this. People are very excited about it. We launched officially in, um, in January and uh, the company can be found. You can go online and find it at csweetener.org. So, did you get a, a stronger response from mentors or, or mentee, mentorees? Mentees? <laughs> People who want to be mentors. <laughs> I guess we call them. Yeah, really. Um, badass chicks, I like to call them. Um, <laughs> we can go with that. You know, both. I mean, I've been amazed. That's First terrific. of all, I was amazed by how many senior executives who've been successful want to participate and get back. I mean, I knew that I did, and I knew like, a lot of my friends did. But like, I get a call every single day, you know, from somebody or an email, I mean, not just one, like many, from people saying, I want to join, how do I join? How do I join as a mentor? Um, so there's a real hunger to give back and help people succeed. And that's not just women, that's men. I have, you know, probably uh, at least 15% of the mentors that are signed up are men. That's a great point. Actually, um, on the mentee, yeah, I mean, if men don't buy into this whole thing, women are not going to get there. Mm-hmm. That is just factual as far as I'm concerned. Um, and, you know, why wouldn't men care? They should if they are human. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> And most of them yeah. are, I think. Um, yeah, right? Well, you know, not, I don't know about most. But anyways, um, <laughs> the, um, the mentees, the, the women, are, they're hungering for this. And, you know, the whole idea was born from me having, you know, on the average week, 10 or more emails inbound from people I don't even know most of the time saying, hey, can you help me? I heard about you. I read about you. I blah, blah, blah. You know, I'd like some advice on my business plan. I'd like some advice how to get into this field or that field. And honestly, I couldn't service the demand. You know, Mm -hmm. I outsourced my own problem, basically. Um, But the demand for this kind of help is is, is huge. And uh, the reception has been wonderful. That's great. And and this, the long-term plan is this just remains sort of a nonprofit that runs a service? Or do you see, I don't know, just growing into something larger? Well, my long-term hope for it is that it's a national, you know, going concern that's got thousands and thousands of people participating. Mm-hmm. Um, we're raising, you know, more money for it. So anybody interested in sponsoring this uh, to support their diversity endeavors, you know, feel free to find me. Um, the, it, but I, I wanted it to be a not-for-profit. I felt it was really important not to not to profit from the free work of mentors sure. who are contributing of their own time and who really don't want anything in return, but the feeling good of doing it, you know, and I don't think it's right to make money from that. So we made it not for profit, which is the right thing to do. The mentees, the women who use the service pay $250 as a nominal fee, but just to make sure they, you know, commit to the value of proposition. And, uh, you know, I think over time we'll see companies paying for this for their employees and 
maybe even white labeling it for their, you know, capability, you know, their, their employees to use or, or whatever. I, I don't know. We're pretty early in, in this whole thing. Um, but I don't know. I can't help but make things grow. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Do you get a sense though? I mean, that we're headed in the right direction or things different than they were 10 years ago in terms of women being in the uh, no. C-suite? No. Okay. <laughs> no, I really don't. Okay. I, I think there's a lot. I'm 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 hopeful that we will get there because now it's a popular topic of conversation, mm-hmm. and nobody talked about it out loud until the last few years. And I think you know, uh, certain political uh, dynamics have brought this into the fore in a way that mm-hmm. it never has been allowed to be talked about before. So my hopeful that will result in action. I'm hopeful. I'm not sure. I'm confident. Um, women still make up like, you know, 4% of CEOs, they get 9% of venture capital. They get fired more easily from the C-suite when they have a problem than men do. They're not on that many boards. Um, And in healthcare, you know, this is a healthcare-focused endeavor, C-sweetener, at the moment. So maybe we'll branch beyond that someday, but at the moment, it's healthcare only. You know, in healthcare, despite the fact that women make almost all of the buying choices, Mm -hmm. And uh, that women are, you know, the primary target customer. You still sit in meetings. I still sit in meetings where I am the only woman in the room. And, you know, it's a bunch of guys talking about what it's like to go to the gynecologist. I mean, seriously, no joke. And um, it's amazing. It does, you know, it does remind me of those, those pictures that we're seeing from, well, you mentioned Washington, D.C. Of the, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Exactly my point. So, yeah. um, you know, is it getting better? Well, it's getting talked about, so that's yeah. better. Is it getting fixed? Uh, it remains to be seen. I hope to do my small part. <laughs> now, it sounds like a great idea, and, and, I'll, and I'll make sure we have the uh, the website uh, on on the podcast page. Um, kind of circling back to the final point and wrapping up. Does social media help in that regard? I mean, if you're on Twitter... There are many, many strong female voices in, in, in healthcare more broadly. Again, medtech has its own unique silence problem. But but do you <laughs> see social media as a has it leveled the field a little bit, or is it added to the problem, or done had no impact whatsoever? I don't know. That's a great question. I I don't really know the answer to that question. Um, it certainly gives voice to people who don't don't otherwise have voice. Mm-hmm. You know, like patients, for instance. Yeah. Um, it, you know, and it allows anybody to be in the conversation, which is, a, you know, as we all know, after living through this recent change, a good and a bad thing. Um, so that's a plus. I mean, it's a plus that anybody can get their voice out there. You know, getting heard is another thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think it's an opportunity. It's certainly a democratization of the opportunity to be heard. But you still have to be sophisticated to really get your message broadly distributed. And, um, you know, that can be a challenge. So I'm hopeful that communication will improve the the plight of women in business and healthcare, especially. Um, certainly women tend to be more facile at it, mm-hmm. you know, as a career. If you look at, you know, who does most communications jobs in organizations, it's usually women, not mm-hmm. always, but often. Very true. So, you know, we'll see. And then, and, I'm answering my own question partly, at least. I know that social media also, unfortunately, invites interactions with some of those non-humans that you suggested earlier, uh, <laughs> um, which yeah, can, well, you know, yeah. that can be challenging. Uh, finally, 
Uh, you're also, because again, you're not busy enough, you're doing some writing again for the Timmerman Report. What's that about? Yeah, you know, yeah, Luke Timmerman um, writes this really great, um, you know, online publication, the Timmerman Report. I do some writing for him, uh, you know, that it usually runs on my blog later. Um, great stuff, really worth, you know, spending not very much money to, to subscribe to that, frankly, as great content. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in my uh, spare time, I also teach over at Berkeley. I teach in the business school. Um, I teach a class called, well, it's, it's effectively a class of healthcare venture capital, how to for business students and at the graduate level. And I've been doing that about 10 years and it's super, super fun. And I've been very fortunate to have lots of entrepreneurs come in and pitch to the class. And, you know, we run it like it's an investment committee and, and they're listening to the deals and picking the ones they like and don't like, teach them how to pick them apart and, you know, identify good opportunities. So it's really a lot of fun. I guess, I guess I am a bit type A, but, um, you know, it's all, it's all connected and it's fun to stay engaged and, uh, you know, what the hell am I going to do anyway? Watch sports all day. I, mean, <laughs> which, yeah, I guess that's what I do the rest of the time. <laughs> uh, well, baseball season starting up. So how, how are the giants? I know, looking? I'm psyched. <laughs> They're looking great. They got a closer, you know. I'm really optimistic. <laughs> as we should be this time of year, as am I, for the Red Sox. Exactly. Um, and, and to your point, that's you're doing a podcast at 7 a.m. your time, so uh, it speaks to your your type A ness. So you're you're legit. <laughs> I can testify. Awesome. Well, it's been great to uh, talk with you about these issues, and uh, we'd love to have you on again sometime. That'd be great. Thanks so much, Tom, for the opportunity. Well, that is a wrap. Lisa Soonan, thanks so much for joining us. It was really a pleasure to have you on the podcast. I always enjoy talking with you uh, over the phone and in person. I think it was the first time I've done it where we've recorded the conversation. And uh, it sounds just as good as I remember it. So thank you again for uh, for sharing your expertise. And, and best of luck at, uh, at GE Ventures. I can't wait to see what exciting deals you put together. Thank you, MedTech Talk podcast listeners, for joining us. Really, obviously, couldn't have this show without you, so I'm very grateful. Uh, if you could do me a favor, though, just give us a ranking on iTunes. Let us know how we're doing. That does help spread the word about the podcast. Also, just tell your friends if they, uh, if they like MedTech Innovation as much as you do, then uh, just let them know about the MedTech Talk podcast. If you have any insights or suggestions about the podcast or the conference or just want to chat, shoot me an email. I'm at tom at healthogy.com. That's the word health, followed by letters egy.com. I promise I will, uh, I will respond. Uh, do love to hear from folks who, uh, who are reaching through the podcast. And finally, of course, uh, join us on June 1st in Minneapolis. If you use the MedTech Talk code when you sign up, you'll save yourself a couple hundred bucks. And you'll also uh, make me feel like a big shot to the uh, folks in registration. So, let them know you're listening to the podcast and save 200 bucks. It's a win-win. I look like a winner. You look like a winner. So so uh, please do use the code when you sign up. Go to medtechconference.com and uh, join us on June 1st in Minneapolis at the MedTech Conference.